Please open your Bibles to John chapter 12. We studied verses 1 through 19 last week, and we saw portrayed three different ways in which we as Christians can demonstrate our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as a refresher, we talked about how Martha expressed her love for the Lord Jesus by serving. She was busy in the kitchen, preparing the food, setting the table, and all that other stuff that goes along with having a a very special dinner guest. And we discussed how you and I um, have many opportunities to serve the Lord in this same way. Because Jesus said in Matthew 25 that when we feed and clothe the hungry or visit those that are in prison, we are actually serving Him. Now also, you can expound on that in in so many different ways that we really wouldn't have time to cover on a, a teaching like this, but there are various things that you can do uh, to serve as unto the Lord. You can reach out to a neighbor, uh, cut a neighbor's lawn. You can do, I mean, it's just endless, the things that you can do from a servant's heart and and doing it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, Martha, though, is an example of of someone that served Lazarus. We also saw that he expressed his love for Jesus by sitting down at the table with Jesus. And we talked about how We need to have that time in our lives on a regular basis where we just sit down in the presence of the Lord and commune with Him. Just take time to to set um, time aside, you know. Go sit down someplace, get alone with the Lord, and just commune with Him. Speak to Him. Talk with Him. He's there, always. And then we talked about Mary, and we saw how Mary expressed her love for Jesus by worshiping at His feet. And we also need to make sure that we are spending time at the feet of Jesus in worship. And like I mentioned last week, that is what um, we gather around the Word of God for. It's all about that. It's all about worshiping Jesus, directing our attention off of everything else, looking at His Word, um, getting to know Him more through His Word, and growing in the grace and in the knowledge of Him. Uh, And, you know, that's, you know, actually a way that you can start every day. You can start every day at the feet of Jesus. But uh, don't burden yourself by thinking that it requires a set amount of time. You see, you got to keep in mind that the Lord does not operate on our time schedule. And why do I say this? Well, you can look this verse up on your own, but 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. It says that with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. So with that in mind, if you do the math, and uh, I actually took a little bit of time here to do the math on that. Let me read that verse to you again. It's 2 Peter 3, 8, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So, There are 1,440 minutes in one of our days, which equals 525,600 minutes in our calendar year, 365 days. Now, if you multiply that, that 525,600 minutes by 1,000 years, and you come up with 525,600,000 minutes in one of God's years, 
divide that by our daily 1,440 minutes, you come up with 365,000 of God's minutes to every uh, one of our minutes. So, if you spend five minutes in worship of God on God's time, it's as if you spent 1,267 days in God's presence just for five minutes of worshiping God. Now, what's the point of that math lesson? Well, the point of it is forget about the time. God is always in our presence by His Holy Spirit that indwells us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have repented of your sins, you have turned your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit comes within you and indwells you. He is with you always. It's not about your faithfulness. It's not about how much time you spend. The math is absolutely ridiculous to sit and go through all that. The point is, is that you just need to Fall down at the Lord's feet. Start your day there. Don't worry about the time. Get on your knees and thank Him. Day after day, start your days that way. One minute on your knees. God loves that time with you. It's not about, like I said, your faithfulness. It's about His faithfulness. He, or excuse me, we will never be able to fathom the love and the faithfulness of our God. We will not be able to comprehend it because God just works in a completely different realm than us. His love is, is something that is we, we cannot fathom. We cannot comprehend the depths of His love. You know Psalm 119, and I really encourage you to read that too, but it says that the eyes of God saw your substance when you were yet to be formed in the womb. And that before we ever lived one day, God has a book that has our days written in it. It also says that God thinks of us so much that the number of his thoughts toward us are more in number than the sand. And that every morning when we awake, he is with us. I, I really encourage you to read that. Psalm 119. What I'm quoting is somewhere around verse 16. And uh, before we move on, though, in our study today, uh, to finish up uh, John chapter 12 here, I want to encourage you to spend time meditating on the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And stop worrying about your inadequacies when it comes to worshiping God. Stop worrying about your shortcomings. Because when you focus on who He really is, you will come to understand just how powerless and just how small you really are. You know, it's like being dropped all alone in the middle of the ocean with no life raft or, or floating de device. You are powerless and helpless. But when your heart reaches that place with God where, where you understand how big He is, how powerful He is, how wonderful He is, how faithful He is, and it has nothing to do with you, then uh, total humility will take over for you. And you'll become overwhelmed in His presence. And you'll gain an understanding that your life is lived not by your might, not by your power, but by the power 
of His Holy Spirit within you. So let that sink in. And I really want to encourage you in that before, like I said, we move on. Uh, we, are, we are getting into uh, that time of the year when it's the holiday season, at least when I'm recording this here. It's the holiday season. And, uh, you know, the holiday season brings great amount of depression for many people for whatever reason. You know, but know this. There's something beyond all of this, the day-to-day, the daily grind. You know, we're not you're not able to meet your bills, not able to make your mortgage. Maybe you're losing your home. Maybe you feel all alone. You don't know what's happening in your life. You don't know why you were ever born. But there's a God, and He is the God of all creation, and He is the God that loved you you so much that he became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to the earth and he came to live and he came to die and he came to be buried and he came to to rise again from the dead and to give you everlasting life and to give you a hope and a future and to fill you with his Holy Spirit that, that puts within you contentment and peace. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Now, with that, let's go ahead and move on in our study. Verse 20, John chapter 12, picking it up in verse 20. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in return, or in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it, but if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Okay, so let's break this down a little bit. There in verse 21, some Gentiles came along and they wanted to come and get to know Jesus. Now, remember, anyone who is not a Jew is a Gentile. And it seems here that Jesus does not really address these um, Jews, but Gentiles will have the opportunity to come to know him after his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Excuse me, I said that Jesus didn't address the Jews there, but he kind of didn't seem like he addressed these Gentiles that had come to him. But they will have the opportunity to come to know him, like I said, after his death, his burial, and his resurrection. In the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the 120 believers that are in the upper room, uh, the gospel at that point went out to every nation under heaven. And Gentiles came to know Jesus. You see, prior to this time, back in John chapter 2 and and John chapter 7, Jesus stated that his hour had not yet come. But now he's, he's stating that his hour has come. He will soon die on the cross. He will be buried. 
he will rise again in his glorified body, as we discussed a little bit about that last week. And these Gentiles coming to Jesus was a sign to him that his time of reaching out to his own, the Jewish people, was coming to an end. By Jesus saying in verse 24, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He is saying that his death on the cross is going to bring many people from many different places to salvation. You see, at this point in time, Jesus was sending his disciples out to the lost sheep of Israel, because the gospel went first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. You and I today, as Gentiles on the earth, we are beneficiaries of the gospel going out into all the world. And, and I won't get into that, but we but we could do a, a whole teaching on, on all of that. But just know the bottom line is it's all God's plan. And in verse 25 here, he gives us the recipe for salvation, if you will. He says, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's a very powerful verse. Let me read it again. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You see, Jesus left heaven and died to take away the sin of the world. We die to this world, and we gain eternal life in heaven. Now, what do I mean by that? We die to this world. Well, this world has no grip on us. We're not chasing the things of this world. We're not trying to, to store up treasure here on earth. We are a people that are sojourners or pilgrims just passing through. You know, we're just passing through our, our, the city that we're looking for. We're looking for a, a city whose builder and maker is God. And the time that we have here on this earth is temporary. In James, it says our life is, is but a vapor. It appears for a brief time and is gone. And I always, when I read that verse, I always picture a pot of boiling water on the stove and that steam that comes off and that steam represents our life and where did it go you know and and the older you get the more you'll realize that you'll have that kind of mentality that says where did the time go and verse 26 there tells us that if we serve Jesus we are his followers he is with us and we are honored by the father as a result of that and this is all wonderful news for us, but it caused great distress for Jesus. Because look at verse 27 here. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, in those two verses there, there's a, a couple of things I see. For one, as much as the thought of going to the cross troubled Jesus, nothing was going to stop him from doing it because it was the reason he came and was born of flesh and bone. Jesus lived to die for you and me. And the least we can do 
is die to ourselves and live unto him. Place him first. Put him above all else in your life. So Jesus did not say here, Father, save me from this hour. But instead, he said, Father, glorify your name. So by Jesus being glorified, the Father himself was being glorified because Jesus was God in the flesh and is. Then verse 28 continues, Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now, why does it say that? Well, at the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit descended upon him and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He went around then performing miracles. He healed the blind and the lame and he forgave sin. He did many great works. Too many, so many that we don't even know about them all. In so doing, he was glorifying the name of the Father. So the Father here says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again, because when Jesus rises from the dead, it will also glorify the name of the Father. And when this voice came down from heaven, it was actually the third time that divinity testified to who Jesus was. Let's look at, let's look at a couple other uh, times where this occurred. Um, an audible proclamation, if you will, that Jesus is the Son of God. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. It's to the left of the Gospel of John. You have in your New Testament Matthew, then Mark, Luke, and John. They're the four Gospels. We're going to look back at Mark chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11. So, Mark chapter 1, verse 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So here, the voice of the Father spoke directly to Jesus, proclaiming that he is the Son of God. Okay, now then turn to Mark chapter 9. Same, same book, let's turn up some chapters to Mark chapter 9. And we're going to read verses 2 through 7. It says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And when he was transfigured before them, his clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. So this was the second time 
that the Father proclaimed with an audible voice who Jesus was. And then, turning back to John chapter 12, the voice came from heaven for the third time and confirmed who Jesus was and is. The religious leaders of that day were constantly hounding Jesus and plotted to kill him because he made himself equal with God. But three times the Father confirmed with an audible voice who Jesus Christ was. Jesus will now go on to explain here, back in John chapter 12, he's going to go on and explain to a bunch of onlookers the reason that this voice came. We'll pick it up in verse 29, John 12, 29. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Picture that. He said to, to signify to them the type of death that Jesus would die. He said to them, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, he's put up on that cross, that he will draw, by being up on that cross, he will draw all people to him. So what took place here is that everyone heard the voice from heaven. And the reason they heard it was the Father's way of proclaiming to them who Jesus was and is. He, he wasn't just an ordinary man. He was God in the flesh and the Son of God. The religious leaders were accusing Jesus of blasphemy, but God himself, the Father, spoke from heaven and affirmed the things that Jesus was saying about himself. And Jesus tells the crowd of onlookers that the ruler of this world was about to be judged. You see, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Satan himself, as the liar that he is, he lied to Eve, he lied to Adam, and sin entered the world. But here, Jesus was about to go to the cross and put an end to the reign of sin and death. He was, it, 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 sin and its author were judged on the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus was lifted up on that cross, and when a person turns their eyes from this dead in sin world, they become alive in Christ and sealed for eternity because we're taking our eyes off of sin and off of this world and we're putting them on Jesus. Do you remember the story? You may or may not. It's in, in Numbers chapter 21. When Moses made a bronze serpent and he put it on a pole, and it was so um, that when a serpent had bitten someone, when a person would look at that bronze serpent, what would happen? They lived. Sin had no effect when they looked at that serpent up on the pole. You see, there was a choice then, and there is a choice now. We can choose to look unto Jesus, or we can continue to live in sin. We are not forced to keep our eyes on Jesus, but we are 
encouraged to do so. Turn toward the back of your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. You'll find Hebrews uh, right after Philemon and right before the book of James. So it's right in between those two books, Philemon and James. And we're going to look at chapter 12. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. So hopefully you're there. It says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You see, our walk as Christians is compared here in these verses as a race. And it's the kind of race that requires endurance. It's not easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It says there in verse 1 that sin so easily ensnares us. And that's every one of us. It's far easier to walk in the ways of this world. It's far easier to walk in the ways of sin than to walk by faith, than to than to uh, stand against it and walk by faith. Sin requires our physical senses, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh. But faith requires believing in the unseen. And we are called by God as followers of Jesus Christ to walk by faith and not by sight. It sounds like foolishness to the world. And to your natural mind, it, it may sound like foolishness. But in order to continue walking by faith, it requires for us to be looking unto Jesus. That is where our strength comes from. It's in our weakness His strength is made perfect. And you know, when we look unto Jesus, it's not just a one-time casual glance. I've met people that say, oh yeah, you know, I, I looked to Jesus when I was 18 years old. But that was it. No. You see, that word looking unto Jesus, if you do a study on it there, it means to fix your eyes, to lock them on Jesus. And don't take them off. You see, you don't run the race as a Christian for a couple of years. You don't take your eyes off of Jesus when difficulties arise. You fix your eyes on Jesus because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Turn back a few chapters here in the book of Hebrews to uh, Hebrews chapter 5. Speaking of Jesus in verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 5, it says, And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation 
to all who obey him. So, you see, the reason he is the author and the finisher of our faith is because he is the author of eternal salvation. There's salvation in no other name. Salvation comes from Jesus only. No church, no religion, no other name given under heaven. It's through Jesus Christ only. It's plain and simple. You either have your eyes fixed on Jesus or you don't. And notice also that there at the end of verse 9, it says that salvation belongs to who? To all who obey him. You see, we must finish this race with endurance. We must continue in obedience to Jesus by abiding in and remaining steadfast in his word. The early church was careful to do this. It says in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. As followers of Jesus, it's not just a a Sunday go-to-meeting kind of thing. That's not what it's about. Jesus gave his all, and he is worthy of our all. He is worthy of us just worshiping him and looking unto him, spending time at his feet, in his presence, serving him, showing his agape love, his unconditional love to the rest of the world around us. Go ahead and turn back to John chapter 12. Verse 34 says, The people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Now, if you remember, we saw earlier in this chapter that all all of them that the people that had uh, run out to to meet Jesus they they remember they took those palm branches and of the palm trees they started waving them in his honor crying out to him hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord the king of israel um so they're they're saying here that the law they have been taught says that the christ is going to live forever so why is jesus telling them that he's going to die. Why was he telling them the way he was going to die? You see, they weren't being taught the whole counsel of the Word of God because the book of Isaiah proclaimed that the Christ would um, be oppressed and afflicted. It says that he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and, and cut off from the land of the living. He poured out his soul unto death, Isaiah says. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. There was more to Jesus than they wanted to understand. As we talked about last week, they just wanted a political king. They wanted a political savior, someone that would change their present day circumstances. And it's unfortunate, but today, many come to Jesus for the same reason. They don't want the suffering. 
They just want good times. They want to see Jesus in a way that suits their lifestyles. They want to make him to be the kind of Jesus they want him to be. But the work that Jesus does for us is most often an internal work. We as men and women find it easy to look to the outward things and we look for Jesus to do the same thing. Come on, Lord, pay my bills. Come on, Lord, provide a check in the mail. Do this, do that. And that's what these people here wanted. They don't want to hear about a Christ that will die. They want one that will reign as their earthly king forever. It kind of reminds me of the saying that says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. No, we want things the way we want them, and and that's all there is to it. But that's why it's important that we go back and we see the truth in the Word of God about who Jesus is, why he came. Not not how religion portrays him, not how man-made religion makes him out to be. There's various denominations out there, various religions, but there's only one Bible. There's only one Word of God. There's only one Spirit, one Lord. And that's who all of us need to come to know. Verse 35, then Jesus said to them, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. You see, as Jesus reached out to the Jews, They had an awesome opportunity to walk with the Lord while he was here on this earth. And this earth is a dark place. They had the opportunity to walk with the light of the world in the flesh. And by believing in him, they could become, as Jesus said, sons of light. Jesus is reiterating something here that we saw earlier in our study of the Gospel of John. Jesus is the light of the world, remember? Go ahead and turn back there. Turn back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 9 through 13. Speaking of Jesus, it says in verse 9, That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own. Who was that? Who was that? That was the Jews, right? He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So look at that verse 12 again. But as many as received him, to them, He gave the right to become children of God. You heard the saying, we're all God's children? Not true. The ones that receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. We're all God's creation. 
We're all created in God's image, but we're dead spiritually until we are born again, until we come to faith in Jesus Christ. But the same opportunity that Jesus presented to the Jews in John chapter 12 was later presented to the Gentiles as well. You and I, you and me, we're the beneficiaries of the gospel going out to the Gentiles. But we see here that when one is born again, they are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but they're born of God. And I just want to reiterate that to you again. This means that it's not something physical that takes place. It's spiritual. The change is inward, not outward. And we become sons and daughters of the Most High God. So many people say, you know, well, I don't want to go... Uh, you know, you, you talk to them about Jesus. They say, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that because at that church or this church or that church, a bunch of hypocrites. And you got all these different religions and all these different churches and all this stuff. It's not about that. There's no excuse. You can't make excuses because you don't have to come to church. You need to come to Jesus. You don't have to come to a religion. You need to come to the Savior. And turning back to chapter 12 of the Gospel of John, how did these Jews respond to Jesus after all of this, after everything that Jesus said to them back in chapter 12, um, verse 37? But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Why? That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, we discussed this several weeks back, but let's go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 11. It's in the New Testament here. It's to the right of the Gospel of John, uh, just past the book of Acts. It's right before 1 Corinthians. So turn to Romans chapter 11. And uh, we're going to go down and start reading in verse 25. It says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them, when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. So you see, like I said earlier, it's all God's plan. He brought the Messiah to the Jews, and then he offered salvation to the entire world. 
but God has not forgotten Israel. Israel is the apple of his eye. One day, this age of grace or this period of time where we now live, where whosoever will can come to Jesus Christ, one day, this period of time is going to end. And the body of Christ will depart this earth and the tribulation will be ushered in. God will then again direct his attention squarely on the redemption of Israel. But as we saw, blindness has come to Israel only in part. In other words, there are Jews today that are being saved. There are Jews that are believing in Jesus Christ, as some of them did in that day as well. Verse 42, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you to go back to John chapter 12, but that's where I am. Uh, Back in John chapter 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. This too is a sad situation that still exists today. Many people who profess faith in Jesus Christ don't live the life because they want to be accepted by people around them in this world. They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. But remember, Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, that whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And here in verse 44, it says, Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. I read that verse twice, but it's important. He who believes in me, sees him who sent me. What's that tell you? Jesus is God in the flesh. There there are more very clear statements to this fact within the Bible that, that Jesus and God are one. Verse 46, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. You don't need to turn there, but John 3.17 says, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The reason for Jesus coming was to offer God's forgiveness and salvation. Jesus himself does not judge, but the living and the 
active word of God cuts through everything and convicts the hearts of men and women. As you study the Bible, as you read the Bible, you will become more aware of how desperately wicked your own heart is. All of us do, and that's why we need the light of the Word of God. Verse 48, Jesus says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. You see, when this temporal life of ours has come to an end, it'll be the word of God that will judge us. Each and every knee will bow to Jesus and confess that he is God, and there will be no excuses as to why one did not believe in Jesus, because the word of God proclaims all we need to know about him. That's why the Bible says how beautiful are the feet of those that, that preach the good news of the gospel. You see, the Father spoke audibly from heaven, and he testified of Jesus, and Scripture today also testifies as to who Jesus is. But Romans chapter 1 also states that since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So you see, every base is covered. No one will be able to stand before Jesus when that time comes for every person. And they won't be able to stand before him and proclaim they did not know. The Father testified, the Scriptures testify, and creation testifies of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 49 here, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak, and I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. You see, Jesus was the very image of God, and there was nothing he spoke that was different from the Father, God, because he was God in the flesh while here on the earth. And verse 50 here tells us that God's commands are everlasting. So there, there's nothing antiquated or outdated about the Word of God. I sometimes have talked to people about the Bible, about the Word of God, and they say, Come on, man, we're living in the 2000s. But you know, the Word of God is unchanging. And there's no earthly society that will ever erase its truth. Be careful not to fall into the trap that many people are falling into today and believing in only parts of the Bible. Because Jesus promised in Matthew 24 that heaven and earth will pass away. 
but his words will by no means pass away. Think about that. Heaven and earth will pass away. His words will by no means pass away. The word of God is unchanging. It is everlasting. It offers to us eternal life by pointing us to our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come, our Savior and Lord. Look unto Jesus. No matter what the circumstances of your life, know that he loves you. Know that he's there for you. But also, I got to tell you, the only way you're really going to know this is by doing what we're doing right now, getting into the Bible, reading the Word of God, and, and reading what I call or what others have called. I didn't, didn't originate from me, but it's a 66-book love letter. The Bible is. And it's directly from God to you. God bless. Thanks again for listening. Feel free to contact us. We'd love, we love hearing from you. Love to know that you're listening. You can reach us by email at info at aloveoutreach.com. That's info, I-N-F-O, at aloveoutreach.com. That is our website as well, www.aloveoutreach.com. And as you know, we are on iTunes. Uh, some of you listen that way. Some of you listen through our webpage. Um, but we're on iTunes under Abounding Love Podcast. And um, let us know how we can pray for you. And uh, just keep your eyes on Jesus. God bless. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.